All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Delegate Nick Freitas with Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. We have a special show for you today because this is actually a joint podcast with Delegate Mark Fisher from Maryland. And again, as much as Maryland and Virginia like to make jokes about one another, we're going to keep it civil because we're on the same page with respect to defending liberty, defending free markets, private property rights, gun rights, the whole deal. So, Delegate Fisher, Mark, tell us about your podcast. Thank you for having me, uh, Nick. I drove across the uh, Woodrow Wilson Bridge to Virginia, and I felt immediately more free from the People's uh, Republic of Maryland. And we run the Mark and the Millennials podcast in Maryland and have a great time. And the whole idea we do it is to make fun of the Democrats and how stupid their bills are in Maryland, because really, we're, we're on the forefront uh, the front lines, I should say, of the people's revolution. It's really that bad. Wow. And so I found you on TikTok. That's how I found you. And I'm like, this guy is amazing. See, for everybody that's ever given me crap about having a TikTok page, like, th this is how I meet good people in other places. So, all right, so I got to ask you a question. Okay, yeah. Because you brought it up. And you're drinking, what are you drinking? I'm, I'm drinking Powers Irish whiskey. Okay, all um, right. I have some of that too, but I've got uh, vodka. You, Thank okay. you very much for oh, hosting no, my, me. My pleasure, my pleasure. So you you guys have an interesting thing that you do that I think is hysterical, and that is talking about the dumbest bills. Because every time I think something can't get more nuts than it already is, somebody is desperate to prove me wrong. So I've got a bill in mind on one of the... Actually, it should be a contrast, where the same delegate carried two bills in the same session without any appreciation of the irony. So I've got one of those, but what, what, give, me one of, give me an example. Oh, I got a great one. All okay, right, so example. this year we have a bill from a guy who is a socialist. He says he's a socialist, right? It's not me saying he is. Gotcha. He admits he is. And he's from Montgomery County, Maryland, which has tons oh of federal gosh. employees. Yeah. He put a bill in, it's called the Right to Sit Act. And it literally codifies sitting down on the job. It says that every employer in the state of Maryland has to reasonably provide an accommodation, not to someone who is in a wheelchair, but to all people, a seat <laughs> while they are working. So we're like, so umpires need a seat, so yeah. waiters and waitresses. So when he gave the committee, um, when he had, was in the committee and he actually provided yeah. his testimony, I said, can I provide a memory foam amendment from the My Pillow guy? You know, I mean. <laughs> I mean <laughs> Did he not accept that as a friendly amendment? He was upset. Yeah. He was a little upset, yeah. So we killed the bill. Yeah. And that's, yeah. My, that's my idea. Nick, it's to make fun of how stupid they have become yeah. as a party. Mm -hmm. And in my state, they're crazy. 
Yeah. And they were crazy here until, thank God, you guys took back the state of Virginia. You have no idea. In Maryland, that's why I traveled across the river, because you guys inspire us. Mm. You, I'm, I mean this sincerely. Uh, you truly inspire it. us in Maryland, because otherwise we were lost. Well, it, I, I'll tell you what. This last, you know, I, when I first came into the General Assembly in 2016, we had a 64-seat Republican majority. Right, we had the Senate, and at that point, we didn't have the governor's mansion. So I, I got used to being in a position where you could get bills passed out of the General Assembly, and then it died on the governor's desk. And then, you know, over a couple years, um, Democrats took control, and I mean everything. They had the House, they had the Senate, they had the governor. Why did mansion. that happen? Why did that happen? What happened? So I, I it, it's difficult to say. I think there's a lot of factors that went into it. Okay. Um, now, one thing I will say that that I think Republicans have to own up to is that when you have majorities and you don't deliver on what you said you were going to do, mm -hmm. you're going to lose. And we have some people that think that this is, well, no, we got to be careful because we got to maintain power. Like, look, when people elect you and they have an expectation that you're going to live up to what you said you believe in, you damn well better do it. You've got to deliver. Yeah. You have to and, deliver. And I think there was a number of times where we had a lot of missed opportunities, mm -hmm. and that made us vulnerable. Um, okay. And then you, you understand this being from Maryland where Maryland and Virginia, our economy and everything is very closely linked to D.C. Completely. And, and I, I hate that. That's the one thing I just don't like about Virginia is how closely linked we well, are. Well, you have north side and south side, yeah. which is, you know, with us, we just have one side. It's all government, <laughs> yeah. right? Everybody in Maryland works for the government or they work for some, like, contractor that works for a contractor that works for the government. Yeah. It's really sad. It's also scary. Well, the other thing scary, too, is... Everybody that works in the federal bureaucracy, they're, for the most part, far left. Yeah, yeah. I have tons of friends in Northern Virginia. Yeah. And obviously, I know you do, too, because you're a Virginian. But I have family that lives in Northern Virginia. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I thought was really cool is this last, this last election, I'm driving through Northern Virginia, trying to visit some family. And what did I find? Glenn Youngkin signs. Yeah. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. What? In this Northern guy? Might, I, that's when I knew he was going to win. Yeah. No, I, I think that, you know, there were so many factors that went into it, but I got to say, Governor Yunkin ran an incredibly disciplined campaign, and the thing that was unique about it was that between him and Winsome Sears, who's a total rock star, and Jason Mieres, who him and I served in the House of Delegates together, new attorney general, great guy, I'll tell you what, every one of them did that was unique for, for a lot of Republican races. They didn't run on this kind of like esoteric, like, I believe in lower taxes. No, they said, I believe in lower taxes, and here's the tax I'm going to cut. Love they it. They said, I believe in lower regulations, and here's the ones we're going to cut. They gave the voters a, mm -hmm. a metric. You know what the one I hate in your state? Yeah. I lived in your state when I was in college at GW, another yeah. communist institution. And uh, <laughs> I was in Arlington, and I got hit. My car cost $500. It was oh, a used car. car tax. Yeah. And it was the car tax. Yeah. They, they hit me with my Maryland tags in Arlington with a car tax. It was more than what I paid for my car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what the heck? Well, and, and that's when, when, when conservatives <laughs> or liberty people, whatever, when we, when we run on specifics, like we believe in liberty, we believe in free markets, and this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do it first session. It's just like the contract with American. Gilmore said he was going to get rid of it. Gilmore said he was going to get rid of it. But he didn't do it. He got, the problem was that it ended up transferring, right? It was yeah. like, oh, no, we got rid of this. Well, we gave localities, found a different way to do it. By the way, it's, it's, this is easy for me to say because Maryland, forget it. It's oh, like, yeah, you know, yeah, tax yeah. centrals for but, everything. But it, so. it, it really is, I think there really is something about um, giving people very clear metrics whereby they can judge your performance. 
Mm-hmm. Because if, if he got into office and he didn't do what he said he was going to do, I mean. Yeah. So I want to tell the Mark of the Millennials podcast listeners, and your people already know, of course, one of the coolest things that I saw on your resume when I looked it up, other than the fact that you're a Green Beret, thank you, obviously, for your service, which is really be, cool. I used to be in good shape. The coolest, <laughs> the, coolest, you know, the coolest thing I saw was that there was a point when you ran for re-election. I'm sorry, this is funny to me. You ran for re-election. You uh, didn't fully get the paperwork in on time because yeah. when you file for election yeah. or re-election, you have to file paperwork to demonstrate that you're running, and that's an important thing. But that you decided since you missed the deadline, yeah. there was a, a write-in candidacy that you decided to do, so, and you won with 57% of the vote. Who does that? So we. Um, Who does? That? I'm my, sorry. My, my uh, sorry behind us. So I'm sorry, that's funny. Oh no, no. I, I, and, and the way that story worked because it's it's in, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of embarrassing and cool all the time. I same think it's time. really cool. So my wife was actually running for state senate at that time. She was actually primarying a sitting Republican state senator who voted for a bunch of tax increases and voted for. And so my wife, which by the way, I'm the docile one in the family, right? Like my <laughs> well, wife is my wife's well, I like awesome. It. So she's running for office, and I'm, I'm helping her out with her campaign and the whole deal. And then all of a sudden, I get this call. And like, Delegate Freitas, do you, do you realize your paperwork hasn't been properly submitted to the state? And, and the thing was is that I had a convention, so there was this thing where it wasn't the typical way to submit paperwork, right? The party was responsible for some stuff. I was responsible. Well, they didn't get any of it. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, I'm, getting, I'm like, okay, well, look, this has happened before. The State Board of Elections is able to grant, like, exceptions. Turns out. Uh, State Board of Elections, two Democrats, one Republican, because we had a Democrat governor at the time. This is probably going to shock everybody. Um, the Democrat governor, not a big fan of mine. And so they decided that they were not going to issue an exception for this one, even though they had done it for other people. And so we had this big talk, and I was ready to step down and let somebody... Here was the problem. We couldn't get... Nobody could legally come on and run as the Republican. So... You had to have somebody you as a Republican. You had to have somebody run. Have to, yes. The district knew me, and so I said, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work hard, and then. And you and, won. And we and overwhelmingly 57 percent, like we won by double digits, and that was the part where. Yeah. I mean, was, the most I ever won by is 58 percent because they gerrymandered the districts in Maryland yeah, so yeah. much that 58 percent, and you won by like the most I've ever won by, and it was a write-in. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's why well, I thought that was like so that, bad. But Freitas, so awesome. is not, Freitas is not Smith. No. Right? So there's a, there, it turns out there's not a lot of Portuguese people running around Central Virginia. So they, the newspaper actually published all the different ways people misspelled my name. So, and, and people asked me all the time, like, how do you pronounce your name? I said, look, it's pronounced Freitas, but my drill sergeant taught me to respond to anything remotely close. So why is Virginia so different? So here we are, it's 2022, we're in the month of February, Mm -hmm. and in Maryland you have to wear a mask in the chamber, (laughs) and we're still doing committee hearings by Zoom. Oh my God. And um, constituents, if they want to testify, they have to testify by Zoom. The speaker is, by the way, in our office building, we're supposed to wear masks all the time. Oh my God. Unless you're in your office sitting down. Yeah. Yeah, which we're in my office right now. Yes, and we don't have so, to wear a mask. Yeah. So why is that in here? What's different? It's so uh, it, that's an interesting question because you get two answers in Virginia. You'll get the House answer and you'll get the Senate answer. <laughs> the House is run by Republicans. The Senate is run by Democrats. So you go over to the House, Democrats all wear masks. Why? Because 
There's, wear a mask if you'd like to. I they're don't care. mentally ill. That's why. I don't care if you want to wear that's a mask. That's me that's saying that, not Nick. I'm you don't saying. get to force me to wear one. So in the house, our we we have this we have this crazy commitment to individual liberty and personal choice. Oh my gosh! Imagine nuts. that. It's nuts. Right? <laughs> I heard there was this whole country founded on it. But anyway, <laughs> so the Democrats all choose to wear it, and we don't uh, because we understand how cloth masks don't stop anything. They don't. Go over to the Senate. The Senate looks like some sort of weird COVID Thunderdome where they've got like five foot, fall, five foot tall plexiglass domes that they all sit in in order to present and stuff. And it's absurd. How do they talk in the microphone? Doesn't it echo like when they're well, inside that thing? Look, bottom line is, is that if it prevents senators from talking, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a little bit crazy. Every once in a while, you'll... Uh, we'll, We'll come across the TV in the Capitol where it's showing the Senate debates, and they're like, you know. <laughs> so how about dumb bills in, in Richmond? So, I mean, I need help. I need help with some really dumb so bills the, in Richmond. I think the, again, this is, I won't, I won't say, well, I'll put it this way. Well, okay, it wait a minute. Before you, aware. Before you start, Nick, yeah. okay, we, we at Mark of the Millennials, we make fun of Republicans, too, because oh, we think there are plenty of really stupid Republicans. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 not you. I'm talking about, like, <laughs> no, yeah, no. In that's general. The, oh, in general. Oh, yeah. so in Maryland... We have a Republican mm -hmm. that put a bill in to make it a, a uh, civil offense to release balloons into the atmosphere. We had that bill. And because they might end up in a waterway. Okay, so Virginia and Maryland, they share the Chesapeake Bay, the tidal yeah, yeah. water, the tidewater region, all that stuff. Okay, that's really important. I get it. But this guy, you know, he put this thing that's like, well, wait a minute. So, so, so little Johnny releases a bunch of balloons. You're going to yeah. say, sir, that's a citation of $200. Yeah. It's so stupid because isn't it education? That's, that's why we do this. Why do we need more legislation to restrict your freedoms? Wouldn't you just like go to the person and say, hey, look, in the future, you might not want to do yes. this because here what, here's what might happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we, we had one year, we had the, the same delegate. <laughs> Democrat? <clears throat> so, it, yes. Okay, so it wasn't so a Republican I'm gonna, I'm gonna in your case. I'm going to give two case. examples. I'm, I'm sitting in transportation committee. And... This one was actually two different delegates, so I'll get to the other one. Transportation Committee. And in like, I think it was the same day, we had a bill that gave a tax credit to you if you bought an electric vehicle. <laughs> okay, now you're, you're thinking, all right, I, I might not like that, but that's not dumb, right? You just disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except that in the same committee meeting, we had another Democrat with a bill that pointed out we need, to, we need to exercise an additional fee on people with electric vehicles because they don't pay as much in gas taxes, and so we can't fix the roads. Both of them passed out of committee. So we had one bill where it's like, I'm going to give you a subsidy, or I'm going to give you a tax credit to buy an electric vehicle. Oh, good. But then I'm going to penalize you for buying an electric vehicle. And I'm sitting there on the committee like, did, did nobody else just catch? You just canceled each other what out. What we did. How, this is why I voted no on both of these. Of course. And my vote, and here was the crazy part. My no vote on both of those, in a, in a strange way, did the same thing as their yes vote on both of those. <laughs> right? Sorry. And that's the bar where you're looking at it going. So we have a bill in the Maryland uh, House of Delegates that this guy, he, he puts a similar bill in every year, but it's always to expand it. It always passes. He's a Democrat. And the bill is to require that the best possible parking space, including in private property, commercial private properties, okay. have a charging station. Okay, gotcha. and that has to be made available. But meanwhile, his car is an electric car, and it's parked in the House of Delegates building, yeah. getting free electricity oh, yeah. for his electric car. Yeah. 
So I amended his bill on the house floor last year okay. and said, you know, I just ha I, I get what the gentleman is trying to do from Montgomery County. There's a differing gentleman, of course, from Montgomery because they're all crazy in Montgomery County in Maryland. And I said, you know, but I think that my amendment to require you to reimburse the state for the free electricity that you're using in the House of Delegate building kind of makes sense because yeah. obviously we have the same protocol as you guys. You can't. You can't attack a member, yeah. but, I was, so, but I was attacking the policy yes, without yes. actually calling him out being the one parking in that parking space. Yeah. Well, the place blew up. <laughs> the Democrats were so upset. They get Why? up and they were attacking what me. What is it like, reasonable about that? Oh, <laughs> because they want free, they want free yeah, stuff for yeah, themselves. Yeah. Now, it if you and I did that, we'd be written up on the ethics report. Oh, absolutely. Ethics report and then the Washington Post would be- Oh, you know, front, front page. page, yeah. The Bezos Post, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, no, and, and you're right. It's one of those things. So again, and, and this is, we were actually, ha I was actually having a discussion with some of my team the other day, and we were talking about the difference between the United States and parliamentarian democracies, because we are actually, the decorum, and are very polite. Too polite. And then you watch like British parliament, or oh, if like, you really want to treat Taiwanese parliament, <laughs> because it's not parliament unless somebody's getting their ass beat on the floor, right? Like that's just, I mean, when, when, we're, when we're doing it, like we will do something where maybe somebody accidentally screws up and mentions someone's by name and it's like, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Taipei, right? Like it is coming down with the flying elbow uh, on, a, on tax policy. Well, I mean, in Maryland, we would put our money on you know, some, well, I'm not even going to say it, certain people on, in the other side of the aisle who, okay, I'm not even going to go there because I don't yeah. want to get you in trouble. So, <laughs> in Maryland, I would put my money on the Republicans. Let's put it that way. Okay. If there was a fight, I would put them, yeah. Oh, unless, yeah, yeah. Unless it's a really um, mean Democrat woman, then she might win too <laughs> <laughs> without giving any more details. Well, the, the, other, thing, the other thing that we kind of noticed too is I'm that. switching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, switch switch to a real drink. Uh, so this is whiskey. It's like gin, but for men. Yes. Anyway, so we have. Sorry, Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, no, it's well. So one of the things that I think, um, you know, again, I, I always find it fascinating to talk to members from other legislatures because I think the like a like a loser legislator <laughs> like Maryland. Yeah, the American people in general have this idea that everything kind of operates the same way. And that's true to some degree. We, most of us, except for Nebraska, have bicameral houses and we have similar processes. But mm. I've always been fascinated about some of the differences. And again, in Maryland, when you talk about Maryland and Virginia, um, I mean, we're the oldest legislative body in the Western Hemisphere, but <laughs> Maryland's not far behind. We're not, we're not too far behind. And like, are there any interesting traditions? There is, or, there is. Okay. There's a cool tradition in Maryland and that is, um, so our state house has in it the very room with a statue uh, of a likeness, including the height of George Washington, where he gave his farewell address. Oh, really? And the really interesting thing is, is when we had all this cancel culture of knocking down statues and getting rid of them, there was a lot of talk in our legislature with the Democrat majority of, maybe we should get rid of that room. For Washington? To which we said, there wasn't a bill, but there was discussion. To which we said, and more specifically, I said, do you, do you even know why that room exists? Yeah. Because it was the first time in human history, first time in human history, that a guy, that a guy who was ahead of the military and defeated the most powerful military in the world, the most powerful country, instead of ascending to emperor or king yeah. or, yeah. you know, dictator, whatever, willingly gave power over 
to a civilian government. Yeah. That never happened before in human history. It happened in that room right there. And you want to cancel him? Yeah. To which the Democrats were like, well, that's really not that big of a deal. I mean, this is how bad they are. They don't read. See, this is they incredible. Don't read. Like in, in Virginia, when the Democrats took control, we used to have a statue of Robert E. Lee in the Capitol. Because obviously this used to be the capital of the Confederacy. Now again, I'm, I'm not advocating, like, I'm, I'm glad the Union won, right? Like, this is not... But there's also generally been historically an understanding that, you know, Robert E. Lee played a prominent role, not just with respect to the head of the Army in Northern Virginia. He actually played a huge role in mending race relations and making sure that there wasn't a massive insurgency campaign in the South yes. post-Appomattox yes. or, 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 you know, whatever. He, he was critical to that. Um, and he was critical for that reconciliation. And so it's one of those things where it's like, look, we can distinguish between certain policies we don't like and other aspects of a, a historical figure's trait or history, which are in fact admirable, right? We can distinguish between these two things. And, and the other argument that we were making was like, look, this is not going to stop here. And so when I hear oh, you no. talk about what's going on in Maryland with oh, respect to, to Washington, and, 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 and again, it's like, I, I can, I'm perfectly willing to have the discussion but damn, I'd like it for be a discussion, not... It, it, right, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the country is divided. We all know this, right? Mm -hmm. And rather than learning from the Civil War, yeah. we have the left trying to cancel the Civil War, not understanding yeah. that this is a great time to learn from it because yeah. we don't want it to happen again. Mm -hmm. And yet they are devolving the country into this, this possibility, which I don't want to see, you don't want to see, but they don't want to learn from it. Why do you think that statue is there? It isn't there to trigger you. Yeah. It is there to learn from it. Yeah, yeah. This is the 21st century. Yeah. Well, learn from it. I, By I, erasing history, you can't learn from it. Well, I, I had a group of students in here today from my district, great students. And um, there was a couple just firing questions about things like CRT and whatnot. And they said, well, are you against uh, you know, teaching you know, hard? I'm like, no. I, this I said, is cool. I want to hear this. Let's hear this so, from the Virginia so perspective. The, the first question they asked me about CRT is like, wh what do you think CRT is, right? Because the, the assumption is, is that we're all talking about as Republicans, we don't know. I said, well, I said, when you look at Derek Bell's analysis and when you look at the whole idea of critical thinking, you look at the Frankfurt School and you look what's coming out, he was attempting to come up with a way to explain, you know, power structures mm -hmm. and explaining disparities and how, um, you know, political, social, you know, economic institutions can be created in such a way to advantage one group and disadvantage okay. another. All right. I said, from that, from that perspective, that's an interesting theory. It is. Here's the problem. I said, if that's all it was, I think we, we may agree on some points, disagree on others, that would, be, that would be different. That's not all the theory has become. That's the foundation of the theory. Then you have what they seek to explain. They say, okay, if you have a disparity, then clearly it's a result of these racist power structures. And it can only be that. And it, it can only be that. There can't be any other explanation. So Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, we're going to throw them out. They don't provide any explanatory power. It's just this. Yes. Then you're going to tell me that now there's prescriptions, policy prescriptions. That's Ibram X. Kendi where he says, we need a federal department of anti-racism, which will be appointed which will have no electoral oversight and which can nullify all law that is not sufficiently anti-racist. I said, so when you look at CRT and you look at it from the lens of, here's a base theory, here's what it seeks to explain, and here's its policy prescriptions. And the moment I question it, Robin DiAngelo says, well, if you question it, that's evidence of racism. That's not a theory, Why that's is, a cult. What's this whole thing with privilege? This is the part I don't understand, this whole like, 
Why do you have, I mean, you just explained it, I know, but like, why is there this privilege thing? Well, I, I, so I think that, I think the important part to, to understand. Do like, you feel so, like you have a Portuguese background? Do you have privilege? <laughs> well, I, I, I will look at Portugal it is the poorest country in Europe, is it not? No, it's not quite. But I, I, I would say this. If you want to look at privilege, I, I would say that almost anybody born in the United States, when you compare it with socioeconomic status, political status, legal representation throughout history, almost anybody born in the United States automatically has a privilege that people born in most places across the country do not possess. Sure. So the question is, is okay, how do you account for this? So we, we had a, I'm the chair, I'm the subcommittee chairman for the higher education subcommittee in, in Virginia. That must be so cool to be a subcommittee chairman because <laughs> Republicans in Maryland don't well, become, they don't become chairman or subcommittee I, I had, chairman of anything. So I had a, I had a. <laughs> Democrats are in charge. I, I had somebody from the a university come in and talk about, and he would explain, he goes, well, Delegate Freitas, we're very concerned about equity. So I stopped him. I said, okay, what does equity mean to you? Like, don't just tell me you support equity. What does it mean to you? Oh, let me check with Wikipedia. And, well, that was the thing. It's like, well, it's about, you know, different disparities that we have. I said, no, equity is defined as a fair and just system. That's it. That's what it is, fair and just. I said, now, you and I can dream up a scenario right now where on one side we have a child that was born into a family where the parents stayed together, they got married, they stayed married, they both worked, they spent time with their child, they read to him at night, the whole deal. On this other scenario, you have a child that was born into a family where mom and dad got divorced or maybe never got married in the first place and they don't have the same economic advantage. I said, we can both agree that one child in this situation is in a better situation economically, socially, et cetera, sure. than the other. I said, here's my problem. If the only way you can think to help this child is to hurt the chances of this child, then you haven't created something that's equitable. Right, they believe in a zero sum game. Well, and, and it's the idea, and, and yeah. you brought this up before, it's the idea of if equality of outcomes is, is the measurement you use, you can use that. Sure. But you're not going to have a free society. You're not going to have a prosperous this society. This is good. This is good. So you'll love this. So yeah. same, same thing, right? Yeah. So we have CRT in my county, Calvert County, but mm -hmm. CRT for, for transgenders. Okay. Um, so we have a slide that was sent to me by a parent in Calvert County, the parent has several children in the Calvert, Calvert County Public Schools. Yeah. And the slide says, cisgenders have unearned privilege. So I looked at Chris, I look at Hamilton too, yeah. who's by the way on the other side of the camera, <laughs> and I'm like, what is it? I didn't know. It's like, yeah. what is a cisgender? Yeah. yeah. Right? What is a cisgender? So is it two Some stick? Some of it identifies with your biological reality. Thank you. So yeah. there's like two stick figures. One was a little, one was a boy and one was a girl, but yeah. stick figures, right? And, and it said just that, like, well, if you identify with a gender in which you were born, mm -hmm. then you are cisgender. I'm like, no, that's just called a boy or yeah. a girl. Yeah. And if you continue to identify that way, then you have unearned privilege. Mm -hmm. They're teaching this to ninth graders. Yeah. yeah. That you have unearned privilege. Well, and, and what does that mean, that I, you're unearned privilege? So as best I can, and again, I, I'm not saying, but as best as I can understand what it is, is that you know, political, social, economic institutions have been developed within structures that recognize differences between biological sex. And so if you all automatically identify that way, then society has already been constructed in a way to reinforce your belief. Now, here's what I find interesting about that, right? That, that's the explanation. And then, the, and then they'll come back and say, well, gender is just a social construct. How, how is that possible? 
So, well, and, and they, they I mean, I know it's possible for Pete Buttigieg yeah. and his, yeah. his husband. Well, and but. They, they distinguish between gender and sex in a way that just doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> to me. But, what, but here's what I find fascinating. And, and this, is what's, this is what I think is like the fatal flaw in some of what they're talking about. Is from an, from an intellectually honest or consistent position, if you're saying this is all just a social construct, yeah. okay, well then what are you creating? You're just creating a different social construct. Exactly. The real good. question That's is, good. the real question is, is which social construct, right? Because obviously, when we have political or economic institutions, these are social constructs. Fine. Which one best, best reflects reality? <laughs> or science? It, it, so, yeah. so if you're telling yeah. me, and, and this is the part that I think gets really offensive, you're going to tell a child that walks into an elementary school that there are certain ideas that are white, and there was actually there was actually a wait a minute, what ideas are white? I don't actually, even know that. There was actually a brochure that was, was posted in the Smithsonian that said things like the traditional family, the nuclear family. That's a white thing? Scientific method. Linear reasoning. Like, these were all white concepts. Here's what I find so oh, offensive. work hard and you get ahead? Is that a white yes. thing? Yeah, they I actually heard. said that. The, the Protestant work ethic was a white concept. Jeez. Oh, Here's what I find so horribly offensive about that is that when I see another person work hard and succeed in whatever they do, what I recognize is that someone has applied work ethic. They've applied effort. They've applied sacrifice, right? Yes. They've given up, they've given up, you know, immediate gratification for long-term benefit. Yes. That is not a white concept any more than it is any other racial concept. This is just reality. And everybody has the ability to grasp and do that. And what's been so unique about this country is that even though we haven't always lived up to the principle, the concept of everybody is endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That is so revolutionary mm -hmm. that even when we don't live up So to how do we fix it? How do, how do we get ahead? Other, so, so this is important. This is an important transition for me yeah. because of what you guys are doing in Virginia, by the way, which is far more innovative than what we're doing in Maryland. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to travel three hours. Um, and that is that I is. I gotta go to Maryland next time. I'll, I'll, I'll cross over. Please. Do I need a vaccine passport? <laughs> you probably do. You know, <laughs> right at the Woodrow Wilson Bridge at the yeah. MGM Casino. As long as you gamble there, we'll you know. The casino. We'll yeah, as long, <laughs> long as you gamble the casino, you don't need an actual yeah, passport. That's how it works. Yeah. So it's essential. But the thing is, this idea, like, it has to be school. To me, the answer really is true school choice. Mm -hmm. You don't go to if you don't want to go to the local school where you are in the greater Richmond area because it's a really bad public school for a variety of reasons, yeah. then you can choose some other private school mm -hmm. option, right? And that should be available to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I know this is not unique to you guys here because you're already experimenting with this. In Maryland, this would be a radical change. Yeah. You have to understand, in the city of Baltimore, in the city of Baltimore, we have decades of generational poverty and schools that just continue to be worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And no one wants to, even Republicans don't want to get up and talk about it. Yeah. Because they're so, they just feel like, well, you know, what's the benefit of talking about that? Because it's just Baltimore. Let's just let it burn and fall apart. No. And this is why I'm so inspired by you guys, because it's not just the way you talk on the floor, which is truly inspirational, but it's also your new governor mm -hmm. who's willing to take on the most powerful structure in yeah. the state of Virginia, and that is the teachers union, which is the worst thing mm -hmm. for the students that there can possibly be. 
And if you're in Loudoun County, if you're in Arlington County, if you're in Alexandria County, mm -hmm. again, I lived in Virginia for a while while I was in college, so I'm more familiar with it yeah. than probably most Marylanders. Why can't you have the money follow the child and go to any school that you want, that you can get into? Granted, you still got to get into that great sure, school. Sure, But the schools would be incentivized to compete. Well, I mean... I think you've tapped on the, the single most important issue that we can focus on. And, and it's not to say that other issues of, you know, taxes or regulatory policy or guns or life, like th these are all really important. But to your point, and, and the way you phrase the question, I think your answer is correct. It's like, how do you get back to this idea of recognizing not only the, the economic or social benefits, but I would, without getting too, like, I don't know, choked up, right? the genuine beauty of what it means to mm -hmm. be able to, to direct your own life. Yes. Um, and, and to understand that you cannot do that if you constantly have a bunch of what C.S. Lewis referred to as moral busybodies within a legislature constantly bearing down on you. And, and I, I think you're absolutely right that it has to be an educational issue. It has. It has to be. And, and the yes. only... Uh, I was, I was actually, I was talking at it. Is your governor going to do that? Is yes, he going to put something? I, I think so. We, we actually, here, here's why I believe that. When this, when this discussion was exclusively about charter schools, I was actually a little bit frustrated. I was actually talking to Corey DeAngelis about it because he's done a lot of work nationwide on this. I said, we, had it, we have to have ESAs. It has to be about funding students, not systems. Correct. Um, we have to look at who is the customer of education and how Brilliant. we empower them. Brilliant. Yes. And I was talking to a group of people once, and, and not all friendly to this idea. And I said, all right, look, I, I want to give you an example, and I want to see if it resonates with you. I said, everyone here agrees education is important. I said, how do you feel about food? Like feeding hungry people, how do you feel about it? I'm like, well, of course it's critical. I said, okay. I said, I've got an idea. We're going to set up 10,000 government grocery stores, and we're going to assign you a government grocery store based off of your address. Oh, that's good. Now, when you show up to the government grocery store, you're not going to have any say over your groceries. That will be decided by a government board. <laughs> now, if you don't like what's in your grocery bag or you think something's missing that you desperately need that's or maybe essential to your health, great. You can go to your legislature or your local board. That's good, And you Nick. can try to get it in there. I said, and, and you can go through a six to ten year process of hiring lobbyists to get what you want in your grocery bag. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, by the way. That's so good. Oh, by the so way, good. none of the employees working at this government grocery store will ever be rewarded based off of ingenuity, creativity, or work ethic. They will only be rewarded based off of seniority. So good. And they look at me and I said, is that a grocery store you would want? Is that, the pa is that the mechanism you would choose to help hungry people? Never. Never. I said, it's exactly what we do for public schools. Amen. You're assigned to school based off of your address. You have no say over the curriculum. If, you, if the curriculum isn't serving your child, you can't leave. And none of your teachers are rewarded based off of how hard they work to educate your child. So isn't, it's all about mandates. Nick, amen. Isn't this how we become the majority party in Virginia again for a generation or two? Yeah. And in Maryland. And I mean this sincerely because yeah. of the fact that the civil rights issue of our time, as I see it, and we are the party of Lincoln, the civil rights issue of our time mm -hmm. to be the, truly the party of Lincoln is to actually empower the poorest of the poor among us and in Richmond and in Virginia yeah. and in Maryland, in they tend to be, and in Baltimore, they tend to be those who are, are black and Hispanic, mm -hmm. m not always, but almost always. Mm -hmm. 
And what if you empowered them with those vouchers to be able to go, and I know that's a dirty word, I don't care anymore, yeah. to go to whatever school that they wanted to go to. And the thing is, is we would become the majority party, but it requires a bold executive to be willing to do it. And you guys have an executive, and we believe do. me, I pray every day that your executive will do that, and then yeah. that it'll be, because DeSantis is, has, so look, Jeb Bush, to his credit, started this program in Florida. He did. And then it was expanded, uh, mm -hmm. I think, under Rick Scott. Mm -hmm. And now it's been expanded under DeSantis. Yeah. And the reason DeSantis won oh, yeah. over Gillum yep. was because of school choice, because black mothers were like, well, wait a minute. You the guy who's a Democrat, who's black, who's running in Florida, wants to get rid of my ability to send my kid to a better school, mm -hmm. but the white Republican wants me to have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we need to do to become the majority party. I am convinced. Well, no, I, so I, I think you're right. And, um, and and look, this is, you know the deal. We, we both know what it's like to be in the minority party. I mean, thankfully, I'm back in the majority. You've been there a lot longer than I have on the minority. But yeah, every is, day it, I wake up, I know I'm going to lose. <laughs> but, it, but it is one of those things. Well, and, and I think that you, you've done something in Maryland that is critical and something that we've tried to emulate here in Virginia. And that's the idea that, we, we both know, um, un, under certain conditions, when you show up to the floor and you give that floor speech, you are not convincing your colleagues to vote a way that they've no, already decided ever, to vote. Ever. But what you are doing is making an argument to a broader audience for something that they, they might not hear otherwise. Good. Yeah, and, and, you do, and you do that not just on the floor. You do that with the podcast. Mm -hmm. It's all we have. But, but I, I think Do your papers that, cover you here? Like if Nick Freitas, Nick Freitas, my, yeah. my apologies, if Nick Freitas... I know it's spelled the same way. Uh, um, if Nick, if Nick Freitas is on the floor yeah. and you gave that extraordinary speech, you know, super kudos to you. It was yeah. extraordinary. Right. I mean that. Take it from somebody who takes great pride yeah. in speaking and tries to always um, convince people about your point of view. I mean, it was extraordinary. You gave that. Was it covered? By the mainstream media in the greater Richmond and then throughout the state area. So it, it, it it's always interesting. Like my my paper in my hometown, right? Um, they covered it. I think like two weeks later, and and they tried <laughs> to emphasize weeks? and they tried to emphasize and they really emphasized the point when Sean Hannity told me you should run for higher office. They, that's the part where they said, well, you know, Nick gave an embarrassed laugh because he's run twice and lost, right? Like that's that's the way that they're going to shade it. But but but. Again, but here's another thing. Serious shade. Here's another reason why, what, again, what you do with your podcast is so important. Because we, we already know that the majority of the media is going to, even when they report on us, it's how can we make it look as bad as possible. Um, well, the, the wonderful thing now, and the reason why when people ask, like, why, do you have, why do you do Facebook? Why do you do Twitter? Why do you do TikTok? Why do you do Parler? Why do you do you know, Getter? Like, why do you do all this? Because it's the one mechanism you and I have uh, along with floor speeches, right? To talk directly to the people and make an argument for to what we To circumvent the mainstream media yes. and go directly. And big tech is doing everything, because case in point, podcast, everybody out there with Nick and me, look, if you put your stuff, when we put our stuff on, on YouTube, right? Here's YouTube. We had one video on YouTube, uh, we had a number of them, but one in particular, they went to 700,000 plus views, right? That's, that's incredible. Yeah, so we're like, oh my God, this is really cool. This happened really early on. And then, and then YouTube flatlined, yeah. flatlined. And it's like, wait a minute, here's Rumble. We post on Rumble, here, here are all the other uh, platforms, but here's YouTube, it's flatlined. Yeah. So what we realize is, is that we need to make sure that 
the conservative message has truly a free way of getting out there mm -hmm. because it's not the mainstream media. No. And you and I, all we have now is is the, the technology to do this because yeah. they're never going to cover you. Yeah. And, I, and here's my personal opinion. I mean this like as a huge compliment. And, uh, and that is, I think that because of your gift of speaking, they're terrified of you. Mm. They're terrified of you. And this, this happens in Maryland, too. And I'm not referring to myself. I'm referring to some of my other colleagues. No, I think you can definitely refer to yourself my, and how they, how they throttle you. My, my colleagues on the House mm. floor, like, they, they are terrified of those who are super effective on the floor. Yeah. And they do everything they, they can to put the kibosh on them. Yeah. And this is what they're doing to you because I, I do think that your state is literally at that, that precipice of setting, because Virginia is such an important state. Yeah. At, at bringing the country back to common sense, mm -hmm. and they're terrified of you. I know they're terrified of you. It's so obvious. Well, I, I think I think they're. By again, the way, some of your own party members are terrified of you. And <laughs> by the way, no, no, no. But I understand this. Yeah. You want? I understand this. Yeah. I understand this, right? Because well, because you stand up and you, you you are willing to take risks with with the way that you do in order to call out the hypocrisy. And a lot of times within institutions, they're very very nervous about that. And even when you've demonstrated, like you have, that you can do it effectively, they're still always nervous about it. Mm -hmm. But if it's never done. Yes, and there, there's also the thing in Richmond, I know this because of my friend Chip, as I told you, who was yeah. a former Democrat legislator here yeah. in Virginia. It's, there's this thing in Virginia, it's, by the way, it's the same thing in Maryland, and that is, well, you know, Nick, it's not your turn yet. It's not your <laughs> turn to go to the next level. Yeah. And that is, that, that, and the thing is, it's like you look at your colleagues, you're like, I got news for you. We haven't won this district. We yeah. lost it to Spanberger. Yeah. We need to get it back. Yeah. Because the worst thing to happen in Maryland or Virginia is to have that phony mm -hmm. who says, well, I'm a Democrat, but I'm really in the middle. Yeah. And then they vote for Build Back Better yeah. and then all the other crappy stuff, which yeah. has all this bad stuff in it, including mm -hmm. free crack pipes for Hunter Biden and who knows who else. <laughs> it's a big industry for Hunter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, well, and, and again, I, I think that, you know, William F. Buckley said this, and, and it was the whole, and, it, and it's almost become cliche, but I really think it's true. It's the whole politics is downstream from culture. Mm -hmm. And I think for a long time, Republicans just, we, we if, if you were genuinely conservative, you grew up in a country that was also genuinely conservative. Okay, well, I got news for everyone. That isn't the case anymore. Uh, now, that's not to say that there aren't a lot of conservatives, but if you look at a lot of our most popular cultural institutions from Hollywood, from music, from academia, from the media, they're not just like Democrat. We're talking about like hardcore left wing far left nonsense. Like, yes. I mean, stuff that has been tried and failed and led to disastrous absolutely. results. And yet they're, they are absolutely convinced that the only reason why it really failed in Venezuela is because Bernie Sanders wasn't running it. If only Bernie and Elizabeth Warren <laughs> had been in charge in Caracas, it'd be a, it'd just be a utopia right now. Exactly. It's garbage and it's arrogant and it and it's it's the the epitome of hubris. But if people aren't willing to go and make the argument on the floor, make the argument in the the popular culture, yeah. well then don't be surprised when we have a generation of people that don't even understand. The well, how argument. about civics education in Virginia? What is required for the average student from K to twelve so, to learn about? American civics, yeah, so that yeah. when they, by the time they graduate from high school, they really understand what's going on. So that's interesting, and we we do have a fairly, so we have a I'll say somewhat. It's not as robust as I would like. We have a somewhat robust civics program because obviously, 
Jefferson, Madison. You represent the district that Madison's district. district That's right? too cool, by the way. So we're, we're really talking cool. about in Virginia, you know, it, it's it's Washington and Jefferson and Madison and Henry and Mason. I mean, and, and it's all right here. So it's very easy to take advantage of it. Uh, but I, I will talk to people every once in a while. They'll, they'll talk about, we need more civics training. I said, so what you want is, is you want a teacher that got her teaching degree in Pennsylvania through the most, one of the most liberal programs that you can possibly manage, or, 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 and then you're gonna bring her back here and you're saying, teach civics. Okay, they'll <laughs> teach civics, but it's probably not gonna be civics the way you want, and this goes back to your point. It's not just about mandating more classes within public schools, it's about giving students genuine options so we have a marketplace for ideas when it comes to teaching civics. Like, that's what's, that's what's critical. And, and here's the thing, Will your governor mind. do that? Yeah, I think he will. Okay. I think he will. The, Believe me, I'm governor, like... I, I had an ESA bill. So we're not even talking about private school charter bills. We're talking about, or excuse me, public school charters. We're talking about education savings accounts where the dollars mm. follow the students. Mm. And Glenn Youngkin went on the radio very publicly. Governor Youngkin went on and said, I would support that bill. And we have an ESA bill for the first time in Virginia history, I believe, coming to the floor. Will the Senate pass it? Probably not. Oh. And you know what? I want to make them pay for it. I want them Perfect. to go. I want that ESA bill to go over there, and I want every single family in Virginia that is dying to get their kids into a good school that wants the ability to be able to 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 move their child to a school that will actually address their individual specific needs. And in two years, I want to be able to say we passed that in the House, and the Democrat, the same people that say they care about you, have demonstrated they only care about you as long as they have control over you. Is there a way of getting the um spending money in those Democrat districts where the senators are to be able to talk to the constituents and tell them, hey, look, here's what's really happening. Or is it like it is in Maryland, where in Baltimore, people are so distraught, they're just trying to, it's literally hand-to-mouth survival in the city of Baltimore, that when you talk to people about school choice, mm -hmm. it's, not that, it's, not, it's not that they don't want to have the conversation. They're like, hey, yeah, I don't have a job. I'd like to not get shot. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, I swear it's really that simple. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to kill me. I might die tomorrow. My son or daughter might die tomorrow on the way to school. So you're talking about school choice. That's like very esoteric. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I think I think the I think part of this is not a reinventing the wheel, right? Like you go to places like DC, which by the way used to be the murder capital of America. Mm -hmm. Now it's right? You go to places like Chicago, you go to places like New York where they have things like the Success Academy. And and this is about saying like the, the, the key component, these are not mutually exclusive ideas. It's your child being in a safe school where they will actually learn. That is, that's, that's going to solve all of these other issues that you're- Exactly. Now, and again, it's not mutually exclusive. It doesn't mean, hey, we're just gonna do this, but we're not gonna address the, the crime issue. No, we can do both. But it, it's about I, identifying the fact that if, if all we're doing is trying to address crime, but we're not actually setting your child up for success to where they never have to have the same concerns you did, then all we're going to do is be funding more crime prevention. When, when the best crime so prevention Nick, we so have Nick, is... So Nick, you bring up this like, incredible point, and that is, if your Senate mm -hmm. doesn't want school choice, mm -hmm. and they're going, to, they're going to vote it down, or these educational savings accounts, which is de facto school choice, yeah. then isn't the senator, aren't the senators who are the Democrats who are voting against this school choice bill, this educational savings account bill, aren't they for CRT? 
Oh, well. They, because isn't that de facto CRT to be able to lock people in failed schools and to do it year after year well, I, after I don't year? Know that's, I don't know that that's, so I want to call that CRT. What I would call that is, is the question is, is that if you believe in systematic racism, if you believe in institutional racism to the degree that CRT prescribes, and, and I've asked this question before, I said, so let me get this straight, white liberal Democrat, you believe that our institutions are almost, you know, irredeemably white supremacists and racists, and that's the only institution you think should be able to teach minority children. Like, how do you make those arguments in tandem? <laughs> and like, well, no, 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 we're going to fix it. Oh, of course you are. Oh, yeah. You've of had course you decades are. to fix Rich it. Rich white liberal. You're going to fix it. You've controlled every single one of these inner cities, the Democratic Party, for at least 40 years. In yes. Richmond, it's more like 150 years. Exactly. But, but you're right. This time, you're going to fix It'll it. It'll be great. Fine. And the yeah. solution for fixing it is ensuring that you control where the money goes and the parent has no control. I buy that. <laughs> how, buy lo that. how lost is Northern Virginia? Because I have a, once again, I have a very dear friend in Northern Virginia who's a teacher. Yeah. Uh, she's an elementary school teacher, public school won't mention her name, and she says that in her school there are literally, I think she said, and I don't quote me totally, but it's somewhere between 12 and 15 different languages in the same school. Yeah. In Arlington, in Arlington, Virginia. Yeah. So how do you assimilate children, and what has our government done to us when they, they have a school where there are so many different languages, and the children show up and they're like, well, I barely speak English. I oh, need yeah. to learn how to speak well, English. English as a second language is a huge part of our budget in, in Virginia. And, and again, I, I go back to the question of like, okay, there's a couple different ways we can run this. We can either say politicians will divvy out the money based off of political incentives, or we have a certain amount of money allocated for each student, and you as a parent can go find the educational opportunities that work best for your child. Well, if you want to address something like 15 different languages, again, you can try to do that by cramming them all into a classroom and saying, we're going to, have to spend you know, millions of dollars on ESL. Or you can say, here's money for educating your child. Find the educational opportunities that work the best. By the way, and, and here's the fascinating thing. Immigrant families understand this. Immigrant families insist on their children learning English because they know it's a key component of their economic and social success. Yes. Language of success. Right. And, and, oh, well, by and, the way, that's wrong. You can't say that on the left. Well, and, and, and it's this idea that if I was raising my kids in Mexico, right? I was in the military, went all over. If I was raising my kid in Mexico or Germany right now, would I insist that they learn German if they were going to stay in Germany? Absolutely. Would I insist that they learn Mexico? If I was living in China and my kids were going to stay in China, which, by the way, I would never subject my kids to a communist country, which is why I don't live in China or California. But if uh, I was going to, if I was going to live, let in, alone the anal swabs of if, the Olympic, you know. if I was going to live in, in Korea, let's use South Korea as a better example. Would I insist that my kids learn Korean? Absolutely, because sure. I want them to sure. be successful. Yes, and, and it's nothing, useful. There's nothing wrong about that. It just makes sense. It does make sense. And, and, and again, if you want to talk about the the single most you know, economically successful demographics within the United States, it ain't white guys. No, it's right? not. It's Asians. Yes, it is. Because yes, it is. The, the, culturally, there's a huge emphasis on education, it is. work ethic, and families. Yeah. Um, and families, just, families from India and families from oh my gosh, Asia yeah. in general. Obviously, India is, in, India is in Asia. But as a general principle, one of the things that I was moved by with your resume is that 9-11 happened... 
And I remember watching this, everybody does out there, um, hopefully. If, you, if you're too young, you should watch yeah. on TV. And that inspired you to join the military. To me, that is so cool. Why well, so cool? In all honesty, I was actually I was already in the military. You were okay. So I was in the military when 9/11 happened, and um, we were on a training exercise in in uh, Hawaii actually, and so we're getting this we're hearing all this at like you know five in the morning, mm-hmm. um, and they pull us out of the field and we go back and here I am in Hawaii. Where were you? I was for Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. I was the 25th Infantry okay. Division. And we're about as far from the fighting as you can imagine, right, in Hawaii. <laughs> and I, I remember, and, and I almost got out of the military before September 11th. I was in the 82nd Airborne Division. Sure. And it was peacetime. Yeah, why I would was, you be in a peacetime military? Go it's boring. Be, I was going to be a cop. Boring. And um, Tina and I talked, my wife and I talked, so let's re-enlist one more time. We went to Hawaii, and I, and I loved it. It was great. We get there, 9-11 happens. And I remember um, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there in my um, living room, and I'm watching news reports come in. And um, at this point, you know, we'd, we'd actually deployed troops over to Afghanistan mm-hmm. and ranger, ranger regiments over there. And a uh, helicopter goes down. Chinook goes down trying to save two uh, SEALs that had got caught up, uh, SEAL sniper team. And the two people that died on that, on that or two of the people that died on that mission um, were guys that, I went, one guy I went to basic training with, and one guy I went to ranger school with. Mm. And here I am in Hawaii, <laughs> and, and I looked over at Tina, I said, I'm, I'm never gonna be on this side of the TV like this again, it's just not happening. So um, I don't know when the 25th Infantry is gonna deploy. I said, but I know SF will deploy. I said, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the qualification course. And now at, at that point, you know, Tina was pregnant with our first, um, and I said, look, honey, I'll, I'll let you choose what SF group I, I request. Mm-hmm. And she wanted the one closest to family, which was for Special Forces Group in Fort Lewis, Washington. But it was like, I, I am, the, the idea that we would be at war and I would be on a tropical island in the middle of the Pacific was just abhorrent to me at that point. Um, now, f- funny enough, I go to Special Forces. I go to First Special Forces Group. The 25th Infantry Division ended up deploying before I did when I got, but I ended up finally going over in, in 2006 and, and again in 2008. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of the story. So I was already in the military, but the, the decision to go to Special Forces was based in part about the fact that, you know, I was sitting there losing people that I, that I knew, that I cared about, that I served with. Um, and it, 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 I have a lot of problems with U.S. foreign policy. Of course. Uh, but in that moment, it felt really wrong mm-hmm. uh, to not be anywhere other than you know, mm-hmm. there. Well, Nick Freitas, it's an honor to be here in Virginia. I really thank you, dude. Cheers. <laughs> thank you. Well, again, thank again, you for having me. And No, my, my pleasure. <laughs> thank you for driving all the way down here. We'll definitely do this again. And I want everyone to understand. All right. Give your podcast link again. Mark and the Millennials. Yes. Mark and the Millennials. Yes. Google that. Go on. I'm taking. Yes. I'm guessing Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everything. You everything. We're across all the platforms. Go As you are too. You're actually on more than we, we are. We are. But it, one thing I always tell. I had someone come in here the other day and say, "I love your stuff. I share it all the time." And what I always tell them is like, you know what? If you weren't sharing it, it wouldn't be getting out, and wouldn't be worth putting all the time and effort we do in this. Again, you're 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 in session right now. Drove three hours to come down here in order to do this. Mm-hmm. Go on there. Like, subscribe, follow, 
all the things that you need to do for Mark and the Millennials. Once again, and like fishing. subscribe with <laughs> delegate Nick Freitas, who to me is a rock star. This is the future governor, maybe future president. So it's an honor to be here. Let's hope thank I'm you. neither of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see it. I want to see it. And we will see thank you. you. We thank you again for joining us. We'll see you next episode on Making the Argument with Nick Freitas and Mark and the Millennials with Delegate Mark Fisher. We'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.